So I've got a, um, a picture of a, a door here, and uh, we have a, uh, if you've ever been to our house, we don't actually have a front fence, so our front entrance to our property is quite open to the street. Uh, and uh, sometimes when we're going um, out for a trip with the kids, um, we'll, we'll hop into the car, and I, I won't name names, but anyone under the age of basically 15, sometimes they don't shut the door properly. Anyone else, any parents have this problem? In cars as well, doors left open overnight. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting angry now. Okay, I'm processing. Okay. <laughs> anyway, sometimes they don't shut the door properly, and pardon me being a windy city, it's like slightly ajar, and then sometimes the wind blows the front door open. And so we've gone out on these, like, sometimes we go out for three or four hours, a whole day, and we'll come back, and the front door is wide open to the street. There's no fence. It's just wide up. So people wandering past would see right into our lounge at the front door. And so usually what happens is I pull up, and being the man of the house, I go in first, you know, because I'm always like that thought, is there some robbers, like, or something? And because I'm so brave, what I do is I just make a lot of noise, <laughs> you know, like... I don't really want to confront these people. I just want them to hear me making a lot of noise and then I scamper out the back. <laughs> so far, I haven't had to confront anyone, but just the dog. Um, but I say all this to say a, a door has many functions. And one of the functions, just like I shared in that story, is that a door provides security and kind of Comfort, like it's sort of, it, 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 if it's the front of your house, it, it, it keeps it safe from the elements and it keeps from people going in, especially if it's locked. <laughs> but a door also has another function to it, that it's a passageway. So it's an entrance in and out. And all of us um, have doors in our homes, I hope. Uh, we have them in our workplaces and we even have them in our church here. We come in and out of spaces through doors. And this is, the, this is the text that I'm talking about today is I am the door, the statement I am the door. And it's also in some translations, as Caleb read out so beautifully, it's also called I am the gate as well. It's talking about this kind of statement around a doorway of coming in and out of life and of protection and security. Just go to the next slide. Jesus says here, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. He repeats himself. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they have my life and life in abundance. And this is the vision that Jesus is, is giving to us in this passage, is this life of abundance. There's the word for, um, for, for that's used here in the Greek is actually um, the word zoe, which is often used as a name. And it's this, this idea of overabundant life. It's like the idea of having a glass of water and you've got a jug and you're pouring that water in and the water's just going over the top of it. It's just flowing out of it. Abundant life is coming out of that cup and going outwards. And this is the picture that Jesus is giving us in this passage. This is the invitation of Jesus into abundant life. And that is what, I, well, I guess as, today as I speak in this message, I kind of want to put into your hearts is that that's what we're all called into. Every single person on this planet is called into that abundant life. Do you just want to go to the next slide, Johnny? Johnny? 
I like this picture from um, the Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe, because I feel it sums up that idea. Like that, you know, Lucy, if you're familiar with the story, she finds a wardrobe in, in an old house they're staying in. Just looks like an ordinary wardrobe. But she opens up the door and there's, you know, coats and all sorts of ordinary sort of things in there. But she goes and explores further. And then she, she comes into, starts getting colder and it gets colder. And then she bursts into this, this new world, this kind of Narnia, this fantasy world where there's just it's completely different from the world she was in. And I feel like that's what God's invitation is to us when he says, I am the door. He's saying, I am the access way into this life that you have never experienced before, into this world of transformation that you have not had before. Come in, come in through me. Next slide, Johnny. Now, uh, Jesus um, loved talking in parables and stories because stories are so powerful for humans, for us, for our memory and for making connections. But sometimes a lot of the stories he was telling in his cultural context kind of don't translate so well to our cultural context. Even though we have a lot of sheep in New Zealand, the, the pastoral kind of scene is a lot different. If I was to do a picture of a, a classic New Zealand farm or something, you'd imagine lots of white, fluffy sheep, big, beautiful grass fields, and maybe mountains in the background or something like that. And it'd be look very sedate. It looked very nice. And that's because in New Zealand we don't actually have any kind of apex predators, right? Uh, the kiwi, we, our, our national bird, is like got, it's flightless. Like we don't have all these natural predators like wolves and and things like that. So. The context of the story is actually in that, in that environment in the Middle East where they actually had a, they have a lot of natural predators and, and such things as wolves who would come away and take the sheep at night. So what they would do, because they didn't have a whole lot of fences and stuff back then, is they'd create these kind of enclosures so that they could take the sheep in at night to keep them safe so that you'd have your wolves here to stop the wolves and maybe robbers and people grabbing the sheep and the sheep would all be safely inside, and across this entranceway, the shepherd would lie his whole body to protect the sheep. And that's the idea Jesus is getting at, that he is, is this shepherd. He is this good shepherd that I'll speak about next week, that he is protecting the flock, and he is the only way in and out to get into this life of good pasture and goodness. Um, but the actual context of the story is actually in your Bibles just to your left. See, in John's Gospel, he seems to do this thing where he has a sign, Jesus does something miraculous, um, heals someone, it causes a whole lot of controversy and there's a whole lot of dialogue and people talking, you know, Pharisees and religious leaders and communities all talking about this incredible sign Jesus has done. And then Jesus then, then tends to have to interpret what he has done and that seems to flow right through John's gospel. And the story that's just before this is one of a man who was blind from birth that was healed by Jesus. And it's actually a really beautiful story of Jesus' heart. So Jesus is, is going along with his disciples. This is in John 9. And they come across a man who was, it says in the text, was blind from birth. And he had to beg every day for his, um, his well-being. Oh, sorry, here's the next. Thanks, you, Johnny. He's anticipating. Um, if you didn't know, Jesus is actually white, and, and, and most of it happened in the Middle Ages. <laughs> it's the best picture I could find, but I think it's actually a very beautiful picture. Um, 
So Jesus is going along with his disciples. He, he finds this, this, this poor, poor guy who's been blind since birth. They had no social welfare system. His only means of getting money and looking after himself is by begging. And so he'd done this all his life. And the disciples kind of just sort of say to Jesus, oh, why is this guy blind? And they had a kind of belief that, that this man was blind because of maybe some sin that was in his, his family background. And so he was, he was just living in a, almost like a kind of karma thing. He was living in something that, you know, his ancestors had done. So, you know, that's why he's blind kind of thing. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not about that. And he actually goes and, and, and heals this guy. And the thing I, I love about Jesus and it was this, I had this on my heart as I was preparing this message, is that Jesus sees us in our weakest and most broken moments. He sees us uh, when we're lost. He sees us um, when we're the social outcast, because that's what this guy was. He was a social outcast in their society, and, and he couldn't go to synagogue. He couldn't go to their version of church. And, and I love that verse, that's, um, that passage that's in... Um, Genesis, where Hagar, who was um, Abraham's, uh, you know, uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying this right now, <laughs> I'm walking into this one, <laughs> uh, she had a child with Abraham, let's put it that way, uh, called Ishmael, um, because they, they didn't, Sarah and, and Abraham didn't trust the promise that they were going to have a child. Anyway, she gets put out, she gets thrown out of the, of the camp. And she takes Ishmael with her. And there's this beautiful scene where she's kind of, the angel of the Lord comes to her. And, and she says about that scene after God talks to her and gives her promises that, you know, your son will do mighty things as well. You know, like, I'm, I'm still going to have my favor upon you. She says, you know, she says in the, in the Hebrew, like, you are the God who sees me. And I, I, I just love that. He is the God that sees us. Not just a few people, all of us. Not just the people who are all together, who look like they've got it all right. He sees every single person. And he sees people in the most broken and lost states as well. And that's what he does in this situation. Now, when I was a kid, I used to think this was a strange story of Jesus' healing. Because he actually uses a bit of a spit and he rubs a bit of mud on the ground. And he rubs it in, his, in, in this, this guy's eyes. And then, you know, to go heal him something. And I used to think, man, that is weird, like as a kid in you know, primary school and like for a kid's church. And uh, just rest assured, we're not going to be doing that sort of healing here at Kurimako at the moment. You know. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll be obedient, Lord, yes. <laughs> uh, but the thing that, uh, when I was reading this text, it's so beautiful, is, is what Jesus is actually doing there. He's actually harkening back to Genesis and creation. Because what did Jesus, what did God do when he, when he created us? He formed us out of the clay, out of the ground. He's a God who gets his hands dirty. And look at that act of creation, because sight is, is one of the gifts of creation. He takes that dirt, and he rubs it, and he puts it on that guy's eyes, and he goes and tells him to go wash it off in a special pool. But it's a, it's a beautiful harkening back to Genesis of the God of creation, a God who doesn't mind getting dirt on his fingernails. Right? He's not so holy that he can't get earthy and get down with us, who are, you know, his, his creation, and, and heal us in that moment. So I just found that just such a beautiful perspective on that as I thought about that. And then basically what happens is this guy's healed, which is fantastic, and he's stoked. He's like, wow, this is amazing. Like, you know, I've been blind all my life, and now I can see. 
hallelujah, like he's, he's in. But what it causes, and this picture kind of shows, is it causes a whole disruption and controversy in the area around. So the, 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 these people here are represented by the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of their day, and they are upset with Jesus about this and about this person being healed. And so what basically happens is a whole series of interrogations. There's sort of interrogations from the villagers and then from the religious leaders, and then the religious leaders interrogate this guy and, and like, who healed you? Why did he do it? You know, and they just can't get it. And, and actually, sadly, they, they just keep hearkening on about this thing about, oh, you're, you're a sinner. Like, you know, how could God sort of heal you kind of thing? And, and they even go to parents, which the picture depicts there in the background, and, and they say to the parents, this is your son, right? And, and, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it says in the text, because they were, those parents were worried about their social standing, about being kicked out of their church of their day, they kind of sort of wash their hands of their son and they, they just sort of say, yeah, he's of age, go ask him. And I, I just think it's such, a, it's such a, a beautiful but almost tragic story of a guy who is completely marginalised in a society. And he, even his own parents, because of social standing, don't know how to deal with this and don't want to defy the authorities. And, and eventually, it, it, it's a beautiful story because... Because Jesus sort of comes back into the story, sort of goes, and then he comes back kind of thing. And he actually says this. Go to the next slide, please, Johnny. So actually, these, these Pharisees get so upset that they actually cast this guy out of the synagogue. They throw him out on the street. They don't want to believe that he's healed. They, they don't want to believe he's not a sinner anymore because in their minds, he's still a sinner. He's still an outcast. And so it says they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said... Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is I who speak to you. He said, This is the um, formerly blind man. Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Now, I guess the context of this story that I'm, I'm going to just unpack briefly of the I am the door is, is that this man was an outcast in their society. Jesus saw him, Jesus healed him, and then Jesus gave him dignity as well. See, you can read this story in many kind of ways. My English teacher at high school used to say you can read, you can read the lines, you can read um, around the lines, or you can read between the lines as well. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot of depth. On one level, this guy represents um, a marginalised person that Jesus has brought into community, into family. But on another level, spiritually, he also represents all of us. Because it says that he'd been blind from birth, and now he had had his eyes open, and he had encountered Jesus, and he saw him for who he really was. And so we, like this man, (laughs) until we encounter Jesus, until we encounter Jesus who is the door, the way of life, we're blind, eh, until we see him. And then, like, the scales fall from our eyes, and we're like, man, you're beautiful, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you're worth it. Oh, I need you, Jesus. And that is, you know, that is the two different kind of levels that are going on here, is a sense of an outcast being brought into family. And in that passage before, it talked about... Um, 
that, um, you know, he, he's actually having a go at the Pharisees. He's having a go at the religious leaders. He's calling them thieves and robbers because they have been people who have been gatekeepers who have stopped other people getting into the presence of God, stopped other people finding God. Um, the problem is for them is that they, they're actually, actually well-intentioned. The problem is, is that they had reacted against their history in the wrong way. So in their history, you know, God gave them the law and, and the law was meant to help them to flourish and to live a good life. Um, but if you're familiar with the Old Testament, they don't do a very good job at following God's um, directions for life. And so what happens is they continually rebel and they're, they're conquered by other people again and again. And, and in this moment, they're conquered by the Romans. And at some point they got, uh, after they sort of overthrown the Greeks and stuff, was they had this thing, oh, okay, how are we, we going to make this thing happen? How are we going to make this thing work properly? And what they came up was, we've got to double down on the rules. Like, we've got to do this thing, not just to, the, to what we were given by Moses, we've got to add to this, and we've got to do this really hard. And so they had like a vision of that every home in, in Israel would be like a synagogue, and every person would be like a priest. So they, they ramped up the rules and added, I think it's like over another 613 extra rules and regulations that they added on top of people to be holy. So sometimes in the Bible it talks about people, when especially the Pharisees are talking about this person's a sinner and this person's a sinner. It's, they're not a sinner in the, like the normal sense of like, breaking one of God's commandments. They're, sometimes they're considered a sinner because they haven't reached the standard. And, and so that they had been these gatekeepers stopping people from coming into the presence of God. Do you just want to go to the next slide, Johnny? And as I was, you know, sort of preparing this message, I, I just sort of felt on my heart that, you know, a lot of us can relate to that, to that blind man. A lot of us can relate to maybe feeling a bit like an outcast in life. Um, the church is, you know, we preach love and we pre preach, um, you know, that everyone's welcome, but sometimes the church, the big C, we haven't always been great at, at being inclusive and, and, and actually preaching what Jesus preached, that everyone is welcome at the table. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, who you are, every person is welcome in God's family. And I just know from my own life that, that I've, had, I've had seasons where, especially when I left high school, I, I, I was really lost. Um, I, I didn't know what to do with my life, and I, I sort of found myself in Auckland, I was... Um, living at a hostel there, and I was working a couple of jobs, and I, I was doing the one foot in the king, king's camp, camp and one foot in the world. Uh, I was trying to do a bit of church, and I was trying to do a bit of the world, and I, I got myself really lost, and I got myself really low, and uh, I, I went through some really tough times there, and I got to the point where um, my, my parents had to come and get me and, and bring me home. Um, because I'd, I I got into a place where I was just I just wasn't coping, and I was about eighteen, nineteen. I just I just wasn't coping with life, and and they came and got me, and they brought me home, and and I feel like what Jesus is is saying here is I am the door, because I think sometimes we see it and we think it's this this, this exclusive club that we you know it's all about getting into heaven and it's all about you know, we're in now we we'll get ourselves all protected, 
but, but that's not the thrust of what Jesus is talking about here. He's actually about trying to, it's about inclusivity. It's about finding everyone and bringing them home. And that's been my experience in my walk with the Lord, is that we've got a God that pursues us, right? That he comes after us as the good shepherd. He looks for us and he brings us home. And there's this, and I'll finish on this, there's a, a beautiful part of this as well, and some of this I'll pick up next week as well, but it says here, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and, go in and out and find pasture. And that's a very important part there because in our mind, we kind of think we just go in and we're, we're safe in the club. You know, safe, you know, and there's, there's, a, there's a truth in that, that when we're in God's presence, we're going to feel peace, we're going to feel security, we're going to feel love, we're going to be with the people of God who are going to love and support us as well. But it, we don't just do it for our own sake, we actually do this for the sake of others as well. And what, the, what happens there is that Jesus is actually, as the shepherd, is calling us out back and forth, back out of the, out of the base and then back out again to go, go find others. And you know, it's not just about getting into this thing. It's actually about being in the presence of God and then going out to find those who, are, who need Jesus' love. And I, I'm pretty sure um, all of us can think of someone, um, I suppose I can't because if I think about my workplace, it's my wife, but I hope she's a Christian. <laughs> um, but I'm sure all of us can think of in our workplaces, in our neighbourhoods, in our schools, um, family and friends that desperately need the love of Jesus, people who desperately need to find relationship with him. And, you know, we're the hands and feet of Jesus, guys. We're the body of Christ. He, he uses us, and even in our broken state, in our, our slowly getting, you know, getting glory to glory, getting better sort of thing, he uses us as his hands and feet to speak to people, to pray for people, to um, bring people into our homes for meals. This is, this is the God that uses us because he is the door. He is the doorway into life. Amen? Why don't we stand?